You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. Oh, sorry. I, can't. I just realised I'd like written that whole thing and then forgot that thing in, at the start and then forgot to tell you like what I was actually referring to. No, no, I knew what um, you were referring to, which is why I... Oh, was the discussions on, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Discussions on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I sort of just so- assumed that was the case. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, like, caught myself by surprise because I forgot to put it in. Okay. It's the 19th of June, 2017. I'm Benjamin Riley. And I'm Simon Copland. Welcome to Queers. Each episode, we talk our way through questions on a theme, and this week, we're talking about seeing ourselves in popular culture. But before we jump into that, we wanted to have a quick chat about some discussions that have come up on social media around our last episode, which was on homonationalism, uh, which to, to briefly recap... Oh, God, it's a difficult idea to, like, really briefly recap, but it's... it's uh, Give it's us sort of homonationalism about, um, in one sentence, Ben. Oh, God. Putting, I'm putting myself on the spot. Um, it's the idea. It's, it's the the process of queers being kind of co-opted into nationalist discourse through the use of like the state framing itself as being pro LGBT rights to kind of allow queers to be placed in opposition to other countries. Essentially, I think that's a good summary. Sure. <laughs> so um, one of the one of the things that that came up on. On Twitter, it came up from a couple of people. Actually, was mm. the the kind of the a potential issue with the, our our kind of I guess where we kind of left that discussion was on a, a real note of caution about the risks of weighing in on you know condemning uh, violence or, or the oppression of queers in other countries. You know, because of the legacy of of colonialism and and those sorts of things, and and the need to sort of empower queer voices in other countries. And and there was a critique made, which I think is a valid one, that level of caution can sometimes lead to paralysis, essentially, or or inaction. And, And, you know, that perhaps we should be wary of an argument that leads us to a place that just ends up with us not actually doing anything and maybe that's a bit of a a bit of a cop out and i don't know i mean simon you had a bit of a back and forth with with one listener did you want to yeah i think i think it's a fair point to make and one that um i think that we should think about i I don't know the answer to this question and i think it's one of the interesting things about this episode is that it's such a complex issue and it's not complex issue that is different depending on the different case studies you're talking about. I think the the way that you might want to engage with uh, anti-queer backlash in Russia is probably going to be very different to how we might engage with it in Indonesia. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I think, you know, I would not argue for a state of paralysis or a state of doing nothing in these instances. I think it's more potentially about considering what it is that we do and actually, you know, making sure we take a step back to ensure that what we do is the best uh, you know, provide results in the best outcome possible, and so that level of caution to me, uh, ideally, is not about saying don't do anything because anything is bad, um, and it, because you know the the sort of sitting back and watching as these sorts of things occur is obviously something you don't want to do. It's about thinking about what is the ways that we can engage, because primarily because 
the ways that we engage have to be different to the ways that we would engage if these things were occur in a place like Australia, where we understand the political situation and we and we know the political context and we have the own, our own language to do these sorts of things uh, to, to to engage in these sorts of campaigns. But I think it's a fair critique. I think it's one we it's worth thinking about, uh, and you know, I guess one that that would be worth discussing more in the future. Yeah, I mean, I guess I I just wanted to kind of raise that as something that had come up and something that we're thinking about. But as was pointed out in that same discussion, I think. I think if there were easy answers to these questions, then they wouldn't be particularly interesting to discuss. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is potentially one of the more difficult topics that we've discussed in terms of, you know, what are those answers? I think it's one of the more difficult topics we've discussed on this podcast. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, so maybe moving to something a little bit more intense uh, to something a bit lighter today, which is what we really was intending to do today. Uh, it's been a bit of an intense run of episodes. So, you know, we've been talking about queers in the state and homonationalism and that episode about pedophilia a little while ago, which was a really tough one. So today we thought maybe a little bit something a little bit more fun. I can certainly be accused of being a bit dismissive about the importance of queer representation in pop culture. Uh, Even on this podcast, we often make arguments that focus on uh, that a focus on representation in queer politics comes at the cost of perhaps more substantial material concerns like those rooted in economics or in health and safety. And I'd probably usually stand by that position, and I might stand by it a little bit later on in our discussion. Um, but at the same time, there's no denying the positive impact that can come from seeing yourself reflected in the culture that you consume. So today we're going to take a bit of a break from some of the heavy topics that we mentioned before to talk about pop culture that is important to us, particularly Simon to start off, before before we jump into the light stuff, to, to stay in the slightly in the realm of the more serious for a moment, I wanted to hear you expand a bit on what we mean when we say that we're dismissive of representative politics. This came up a couple of episodes ago in the Queers in the State episodes of all places for this to come up, where you made a distinction between representation on things like corporate boards or in parliament being something that you you think is maybe less important than than i guess other kinds of representation what did you what did you mean by that we didn't really expand on it at the time yeah so it's typical us let's do a light episode but start with a heavy question um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i think there there is an important distinction to be made here so when i was making that point uh, what I was thinking about in terms of, as, as you said, it was the uh, queers in the state discussion. And what I was thinking about political movements or political campaigns that have looked for representation in the state as a way of um, achieving change. So if we have more queer people in our parliament, if we have more queer people in corporate boards, then we'll be able to create change at the sort of top levels. Um, but also, you know, that having queer people in parliament is important to in, to achieving pro-queer policies, whatever that looks like. Um, because if you don't have queer people represented, then, you know, then they're not going to be able to implement queer pro-queer policies. I'm critical of that approach, largely um, because I just don't think it really works um, and because it doesn't really engage with the politics of what is queer politics in that sense. So it becomes a very top-down approach to solving these sorts of issues. I think some people have talked about top-down diversity as if, you know, if we get diversity at the top, then it'll solve problems on the ground level. And I just don't think the evidence is is there to suggest that that works. I think it also doesn't deal with the sort of structural issues around queer oppression, which is related to things like access to education and health, around poverty, around um, structural lack of access to services, etc. You know, having representation at the top doesn't fix those sorts of problems. So that's sort of my critique of representation in that space. I could, we could go into that like probably for a whole episode, I think. But I, I think what I was thinking in that instance is that I think that's kind of different to pop culture representations, which I actually think 
does provide some value. Um, And that's more about being able to see yourself in the world in 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 popular means so it's for me it's about you know seeing yourself in tv shows or in music or in the things that you consume i think that there is value in actually being able to see yourself represented in that kind of way or seeing difference in represented in that kind of way is it sort of gives you you know gives people role models to look up to it gives people an understanding of of different ways to live your life of a whole range of different things and i think there is value to that i think that's what's worth discussing today because i think that that's totally different to be able to see change through sort of big political representation. Yeah, I mean, I would be... Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I think this is in some ways a question of, like, scale rather than substance in that I, like, I totally have a lot of critiques about the, I think, the focus that we place on mm-hmm. the, import, the, the importance of, of uh, representation in, in pop culture in queer communities. It's just, like, it takes up so much space in in conversations about queerness and you know every other kind of think piece about queer stuff is like how great is it that this tv show has a queer character and, Absolutely. and I, I think that that is like I, I guess i would agree with you that it that it is important i, th- I think it, it's fundamentally kind of validating um in a sense you know it can make you feel like a sort of a, a legitimate part of the world but like like i think we have to recognize it's limits and and i i think that's that's it's often kind of its importance is blown out of proportion yeah i would agree with you and i think maybe where i'd go is that i think in terms of representation in you know places like parliaments or corporate boards i would place almost zero value to that or very close to zero value i think when it comes to pop culture i place some value but i wouldn't place as much value as 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 what you're saying as much much value as that we, we place on it at this point of time uh, because you're right there is so much out there about pop culture uh, and I don't think it is that important but I think it's more important than things like parliaments or boards or members of you know governments etc cetera, etc cetera. sure I mean yeah that's a that's a nice little kind of summary I think of, of pretty much how, how I would feel about it as well um, so maybe to, to jump into the, the actual like fun stuff that's the, the sort of light stuff that was the whole the whole reason that we that we picked this topic I mean often you know pe- people talk about having really sort of seminal like childhood or adolescent examples of pop culture that that were really important to them or, or even people talk about things that help them kind of understand that they were queer I mean is there anything that that stands out like that for you? that was really important to you when you were younger? Yeah, I have uh, a couple of things that I was thinking about in relation to this. So when I was uh, growing up, uh, in that time before I came out in particular, there was a couple of shows that were on at that point of time that were kind of, that were pretty important to me. So the first one was The Secret Life of Us, which was an Australian TV show that ran, it sort of had a, it had a few good seasons and then went a bit downhill, but those few good seasons were really important to me. It had, they had two characters who were um, gay, one who was called Simon, strangely enough, who was the sort of, um, he was gay. And then there was another character who came out as gay. Um, His name was Richie, who came out. So he was straight at the start and then ended up having sex with Simon and then sort of discovers his sexuality through the show. That was kind of important to me. It was a it, it was a valuable show because it was not a gay show uh, in the sense that... So it meant that I could watch it and not have any of that suspicion that, you know, you might be watching a gay mm. thing, you know, a gay thing. Yeah, and totally. what, what does that say about you? Um, but also, like, it didn't really hide... And this is, this is 
the sort of the um, the sum of this show overall, it didn't hide the sexual nature of the relationships that uh, Richie in particular had as he went through. So a lot of early gay representation at that time, and I'm thinking of things like Will and Grace or Ellen or something like that, it was sort of the characters were identified as gay, but you very rarely talked about things like gay sex or, you know, anything that they actually did. They were just, particularly Will and Grace was, a you know, that sort of stereotypical uh, gay characters who, you know, and there was no actual, you know, gay things involved whereas in some of us they sorry the secret life of us they talked about it quite explicitly and i thought that was really important for me the second one that i did watch that was a gay show was um queer as folk so when i was a teenager the american version of queer as folk um came out was being it was i think it was playing on sbs at like 9 30 on a monday night oh, um, i remember i remember it well i yeah. remember um I, ha- I had a tv in my bedroom for a couple oh, of years as a teenager and Monday nights when uh, um, Cruise Folk came on, the door was the door was closed and uh, the sound was turned down very low. Yeah, so I didn't have that luxury. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to like hope that my family would go to bed early that night. You know that you know my parents. You know by that by that time, often people would be going to bed early, and so I could I was old enough that I could stay up and watch it by myself. But I would sort of sit in the lounge room or the kitchen. We had a TV in the lounge room, really TV in the kitchen, like hand on the remote just in case someone came in uh you know just in case i heard a noise so i could change the channel um but that was like and i, and I think that show was actually quite important to me as well uh in terms of being a like very pro-sex very explicit show sort of opened up my eyes about a whole bunch of gay stuff that was really important to me at that point of time yeah it's funny because I, I mean i i i hadn't thought about the secret life of us in years but that that probably was important to me as well as far the, when i think about that show and that character the thing that m- most quickly springs to mind is that i once pissed next to the actor who played richie at a gay bar <laughs> in melbourne and it was a really i was like 19 or something and 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 uh was very excited, not too excited, you know, but but um, excited, <laughs> excited <laughs> enough to have that um, that shared toilet experience um, with with someone I'd seen as gay on TV as a as a teenager. Um, when we talk about shared toilet experiences at gay bars, that's not what you're normally thinking of. <laughs> no, no, it's not. But in terms, it's funny thinking about queer as folk, which I which I also kind of watched in secret as a teenager. But I I just remember it feeling. I remember not really connecting to it at all. I mean, I, I remember sort of w- watching it and wanting to, like, like feeling some affinity, I guess, because it, it felt kind of exciting and a bit dangerous to, to be engaging with something that was gay when I was not out. But I remember it feeling like a total, like, fantasy world, like this kind of totally unrelatable... Yeah, I don't... Like, I don't know. I, like, I don't ever remember it being like feeling like I was reflected in it at all. Mm. And I think that when when I was putting together a bit of a, a list of of queer pop culture or, or pop culture that has queer stuff in it that's been important to me over the years, it's funny, a lot of it is is not there's there's really very little and I for me, and I think the 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 really obvious examples that people uh, people often use light queer as folk. I, I've often found almost more alienating than than comforting be- because they've felt like like I was supposed to be able to relate to this this these these symbols of queerness that I, that I just didn't feel like I could as as you know a queer kid growing up in in country Victoria. That's really interesting. I would say I probably didn't relate to the 
characters so much in Queer as Folk are maybe the main character whose name has just left me, who's the sort of nerdy-ish one. Um, the writer, yeah. Pardon? <laughs> he was a writer, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's probably, yeah. yeah. That, that, that's probably <laughs> me. But, you know, I didn't relate to them. I don't think that bothered me so much because I think similar to you that the thing that I got out of it was the kind of excitement and thrill um, of it and you know to be to be blunt I like found it like I, I was totally turned on by a whole bunch of it and that oh, yeah, you know totally. as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a teenager for me that was like really important so you know but I haven't thought about it in the sense of feeling reflected in it I think I don't feel... I think that for me, you know, I think about these shows and I think they're important because I enjoyed watching them. I think that they were a representation of queerness that I liked um, and that I, um, you know, I found as a teenager in particular were important to be able to see, you know, that sort of uh, queerness out there and to, to see it and to be able to enjoy it and to be able to see different aspects of queerness that I could potentially enjoy or participate i've never felt that need so much to be reflected in on my on tv um or in those sorts of spaces i just i'm just thinking about it now i don't think i've ever thought about it but wouldn't you say that that's kind of like what you know when when we talk about representation in pop culture and when it is talked about in the media like that's what people are talking about is it, it is isn't yeah, it? Yeah, At yeah. Least that's kind of what i understand i think that part of the reason i'm i'm so cynical and and maybe dismissive of that is that i can just think of so few examples where i have felt yeah where i where i have felt that but the thing is that the very few examples that i can think of like that has been a really powerful experience i remember i mean it's it's perhaps another really obvious one a more recent one but looking that the hbo show which which i i just hated at first i i really another I really show hated i haven't it. seen oh no um it's 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 really great i say, I say just after saying having that that i hated it at first um and i think that that was partly because the, this sort of crushing weight of expectation was on it for it, for it to be like this uh thing that all um you know, gay men of a, a certain age and a certain, I don't know, uh, like cultural position, I guess, could relate to. But it ended up, I think, at its best and particularly later on in, in the show. In the- Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Second season, um, I should say I haven't seen the the, the movie that, that came at the end. It, it ended up being just a really kind of like an, an exploration of intimacy and, and gay male relationships that was more nuanced, I think, than anything I'd seen before. And it was kind of cool to be able to see relationships reflected on television that, that felt 
real to me and felt relatable to me and, and um, explored a lot of the same anxieties around things like fear of HIV, around things like you know, intimacy and uh, monogamy that, that I think are, are not talked about a lot, a lot in representations of relationships. And so I remember like when that was at its best, that feeling very important to me, but also just highlighting how, how rare that experience is, for me at least. Hmm, it's interesting. I'm now thinking about it and and thinking about shows that I enjoy and that have great queer representation and am not 100% sure I have that same sort of connection, the one that you're talking about in that kind of way with any show that I can think of, in terms of feeling the need to be represented in this kind of way or to have myself reflected back to me uh, and and to, to have experienced it. So I'm trying to think about what my own experience is in terms of what that looks like because I'm not sure I have that, but I still find it important, if that makes sense. But maybe I'm just... Maybe I'm just um, maybe what I maybe what I have had is is you know things being reflected at me. I just can't I just not can't articulate it in that kind of way. Um, sure, sure. Yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to think about what that what that looks like. Do you have other examples that that you that you have? You so looking is I, one, but I do have other examples. It's funny though because I feel like a lot of them are quite esoteric in mm. in the way that I relate to them. So you know, looking is maybe the most straightforward example, but even that is is kind of. It wasn't like I could point to a particular character that I related to or, or a particular, you know, person on the show who, who looked like me or, or whose experience looked like mine. It was what kind of played out in the dynamics of uh, a, uh, of the relationships on the show. A yeah, few of yeah. The relationships. Another, another show, I mean, I feel like we're just talking a lot about TV shows, but that's sort of kind of where we're at in terms of pop culture at the moment. Uh, Transparent is, is a show that I, that I really love a lot. And it's, it's a, a, sh- a show that's been kind of, critiqued a lot and criticized a lot by some parts of the trans community and and i um i've certainly tried to engage with those critiques but the i think the thing you know i'm I'm not a i'm not a trans person and and that's that's not my experience so it's it's not so much the that main um character of mora whose whose experience i relate to it's um it's one of the other characters who her her name's ali so she's one of mora's kids Mm -hmm. um and she goes through this experience. I'm trying to, you know, think about this in a way that's going to be like spoiler free, um, given that you haven't seen it, Simon. But that's all right. um, she goes through this experience in the second season where she starts to connect with her family history, and so she, it's a Jewish family. They had uh, her. I have to think about this now. Her grandparents immigrated to America from Germany. Um, I guess just before the Second World War, and so so Ali sort of starts to connect to this this family history that's that's it turns out is full of queerness. Yep. Uh, and you know she's sort of starting to explore her own queerness and and has these kind of these experiences where her her her, her experience in the present begins to be sort of connected to what what she's reading about her family history and and I I guess I I, I found that really resonant. And not even necessarily through the kind of queerness of it, but through the kind of, I guess, something I'm very interested in and, and something that I have thought about a lot in the context of my own life is, uh, you know, the, the I, I'm, my grandparents immigrated to immigrated to Australia from, from the Netherlands in, in the 50s. And, and I'm, I have often been very curious about how that kind of impacts on me, this experience that's kind of a bit removed from me, but yet is very much a part of my history. And so I guess to have that, that kind of 
exploration filtered through the lens of queerness as well found this really powerful resonance with me and i and i just remember kind of watching watching this show and having these moments where i would just burst into tears like out of nowhere and and not be entirely sure why and i think it was kind of the the combination of those those few those few different things that i connected with so i feel like a lot of uh, uh, that's kind of a good example that shows how a, a lot of when i have felt like i could relate in a way that is connected to my queerness to pop culture has been much less about literally seeing my experience reflected or represented than it is about something that allows me to connect to some part of my experience, even in quite an esoteric way. Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting point. I've heard a lot about Transparent and I've heard really amazing things about it. And it is 100% a show that is on my list and I have access to Stan now and I should just bloody well watch it. Um, because, watch it. Um, because I've heard such good things. And I think that uh, I was just looking back, I actually posted on Facebook about this episode before we recorded and I had a friend comment um, something about Transparent saying one of the, in- the interesting things about it is that sexuality is so complex on the show and it's sort of... And it, and it does so in a really in a way that doesn't always tie sensation and sex to identity. So it's sort of like a, it seems like that complexity is something that's really valuable to that show. That's just what I'm hearing from you as well. And I was thinking mm. about how. So I think that you know for me, you know, if I go back to queer as folk, there was a thrill of that and an excitement of seeing that when I was that young, particularly in the sort of early 2000s in that period where sort of gay representation was a, a relatively new thing. For me now. As a as an adult, as a as a sort of you know full bloomed queer person, you know fully bloomed queer person who's you know out and comfortable and talking, doing a podcast about this every two weeks, etc. <laughs> you know, I think that what I'm what I'm looking for more is stuff that is able to expand my depth of understanding and really delve into these issues into into a deeper way. So I'm not looking for that shallow sort of Will and Grace style, look, there's a gay person on TV, look how amazing that is. What I love is the stuff that gives me a really depth of understanding or gives me a greater insight into the lives of queer people and into the complexities of those politics. And that's kind of what I'm hearing in relation to both transparent and looking at two things that it seems like I should be exploring. The one I was thinking about just before is, you know, something that I that I love to watch over and over again is um, Paris is Burning, which is just an amazing documentary mm, sure. about queer um, experiences in New York in the 80s, um, in particular in the development of the um, the ball scene, which is has you know has has a lot of uh, connections to modern day drag and sort of understanding the depth of understanding of those relationships and the different culture that was created there. I think that that's a really a really great example of this amazingly well done movie that for me I watch over and over again because every time I, I watch it I get new insights into what it's like for the, the the lives of those people and 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 what it you know what it means to be queer and what it meant to be queer in those sorts of times um, and that is something that I think is really valuable now as sort of queer representation gets more in depth we're getting sort of a greater in-depth understanding of of what the queer experience is um through these sorts of representations it's funny like you know speaking speaking of um paris is burning you it, I, I just was thinking about uh drag race rupaul's drag race which is mm. something that we've i mean we did a whole episode on it and to show that that you and i both really love yeah and when i like Although I largely agree with you in that that I am kind of looking for that complexity and 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 depth of of um, 
yeah, I, deepening my, my kind of understanding of my experience, I guess. I also just was like, but I also spend like yeah. an hour every week watching Drag Race. And one of the things that I love about it is just being able to see a bunch of um, primarily gay men uh, sitting around just like talking shit in, in a way that's very sort of like... Uh, the, the totally is reflected in in some of the kind of relationships I have with with other gay men that that's kind of fun and 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 sexual and and you know sh- shady like they're they're sort of you know um, they're you know teasing each other and 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 I yeah no like uh, just I suddenly realized that I do just get that kind of just straight up reflection of some of the relationships I have in a show like Drag Race yeah uh, for me I think that's true <laughs> and I think that what's interesting is how for me like Drag Race there's a reflection of the relationships that I have and then there's also an impact on the relationships that I have that I have ever since I've started watching Drag Race oh. the, the amount of like in terms of like the amount of drag race vernacular that has entered into relationships I have with other gay men in particular. Um, but <laughs> also, but, uh, like, uh, like uh, I think a whole bunch of stuff in relation to drag vernacular, uh, which has a long history, but, you know, things, you know, even basic things like Yas and Work Queen and all that kind of stuff, you know, that just would not have... It would not have entered my vernacular before I started watching drag race at all. Sure. Um, but I think, you know, so there's there's that, which is great. Um, and I think, you know, when we talked about the... When we talked about drag race in the episode, I think it was last year. One of the things I think... I think we sort of started that with, like, a just queer stuff that we love, you know. And for me, what's interesting about being queer to such... In, to some degree, is that I think that the queer experience, historically in particular, has created a whole bunch of subcultures um, out of necessity, but also out of just sort of sheer resilience. And drag is one, one the, you know, a perfect example of this. So the creation of a subculture that was developed um, historically out of a necessity to do so, out of a, out of creativity, out of, a, out of resilience as a way to survive, as a way to create community, etc. Um, and it's created this huge, amazing, great creative outputs that now get expressed in something like Drag Race. But you know, previously were expressed in the ball scene and were expressed in all these credit great things and they're just things that i actually really love there's just a great sense of that culture queer culture that i love that i there's huge parts of queer culture that i love and i love watching that and i just find it creative and engaging and i just like it i guess even if i don't always see myself reflected in it you know mm. so another perfect example of I, I love watching priscilla um you know classic queer movie you know stereotypical queer movie but it's just because it's bloody creative and it's fun and it's enjoyable and another example is um Hedwig and the Angry Inch which is another classic sort of queer movie which is you know goes into the depth about the queer experience but it's also just like extraordinarily creative and great music and a really whole lot of fun the kind of stuff that you wouldn't get without that queer experience being attached to it. Those sorts of movies wouldn't exist without that queer experience, and they're just great fun, and I enjoy them. It's, fun, um, it's funny you mentioning uh, Priscilla. It, it makes me think of one of the other questions that we had on on the list of things to talk about was um, uh, examples of pop culture that that we sort of relate to in a queer way, but that might not necessarily be uh, inherently queer pop culture. Um, and you know what I'm talking about you're looking at me yeah no keep going yep okay (laughs) and like priscilla obviously is a very very gay movie but i i happened (laughs) to say i saw saw it for the first time about a year ago which is ridiculous given that i'm 31 years old and and happened to see and and it was it was fine like you know i i enjoyed it 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 was it's very iconic obviously i i feel terrible now saying that i just thought it was fine but that's kind of that's how i was you don't have to also 
I, d- I don't. I'm, I, that's true. I don't have to love it, and I d- and I didn't really. Uh, but around the same time, I happened to see also another movie that that is appalling that I haven't seen until now, and was made around the same time. Another Australian film, Muriel's Wedding, oh, yeah. which I had never seen before, and and it um it is like because it's kind of known as this like. Uh, would it be an overstatement to say that it's known as a kind of iconic queer film? Yeah, to an extent. I, I don't know. I Which don't think it's an overstatement. Sorry, I, I think it's probably truly true that it is. I mean, yeah, yeah, and, and without so, like, any sort of, queerness at all. Well, that, and that's it because, like, I, I I was really confused when I was watching it because I like I knew that it had this reputation. Like, you know, gay men love this movie. It's 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 got such a kind of a legacy in gay communities, and and so watching it for the first time, I, I was expecting it to be. Gayer, uh, but but there's no. I mean, there are no. As far as I can remember, there are no gay characters in it. No, I don't think there are. And so, for people who are not aware, this is a you know maybe people listening to this outside of Australia. It's an iconic Australian film from the early '90s about a uh, a young woman who's obsessed with the idea of getting married, and she kind of moves out of her her country town to to move to Sydney and her kind of come to get away from her sort of redneck family that she doesn't relate to, and mm, mm. Um, and so it's this sort of coming of age story, and and. You know, I, I guess even just in kind of recounting the plot briefly, that does really kind of connect it to queer. Exp- it's essentially a coming out story in a lot of in a lot of ways. You know, and that her experience of moving to Sydney really kind of mirrors the experience of that a lot of gay men, young gay men in Australia have. But I just I loved it. Like I loved it so much, and I I just was like I like cried through half of it. You may be getting the accurate view that I cry a lot watching. When I'm engaged in pop culture, which, which is which is completely true, it's complete opposite to me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't oh, I, like. No. Not that I don't feel emotions when I get connected to like pop culture. I just don't. I just never end up crying. I don't know why. I oh, very no, rarely no. end up crying. And so I, do, I don't cry outside of this, but watch You know, watching TV and things. Like that, so I just it's it's my it's my outlet. Yeah, fair. And I think what I really loved about like I don't like I don't know. I just really related to Muriel. Like you know, she's this kind of character who God, that's such a like what a what a what a ridiculous cliche thing to say on a podcast in um, 2017. <laughs> I'm a gay man. And I really relate to Muriel from Muriel's Wedding, but I really did, and and it was it was kind of um, wonderful to feel connected to this thing. Like not only to feel connected to the character, but to feel connected to the experience of a tradition of gay men watching this movie and mm. feeling connected to the character, if that makes sense. No, that totally makes and, sense. And I, I just thought that it was such a kind of wonderful experience to have to cut to, I mean, I, I guess in a, in a, you know, weirdly, I think mirrors what you were saying about Paris's burning before, you know, to, to feel connected to this kind of legacy and this, this history, but, you know, in a, in a very different way, I guess, to, to be like, Connecting to the literal experience of many other gay men watching this watching this same film was was actually quite uh, I found that quite wonderful. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I've seen it. I didn't have the same connection. I think possibly because when I watched it the first time, I don't think I understood that history of it being considered a gay film, and so I'd be interested to go back experiencing in that in that kind of way and seeing it with a different 
set of eyes, I guess, and maybe 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 my interpretation of it would be different. I think the first time I watched it, I was flying back from the US on Qantas and I was tired and I'd never seen it. And I was like, I was going back to Australia after a long time away and I was like, Actually, I, I need think to... I watched it I need to watch back yeah, from yeah. somewhere as well. Yeah. I need to watch this because, you know, Australia. Um, but I would love to see it without that Australia lens and see it with more of a queer lens and see what that might bring to me because it might, you know, that sort of connection to something that is not technically queer but that has that queer history, I think, is really interesting. And there's so many good examples of things that aren't technically queer i think particularly in the music world things that aren't technically queer but that have this sort of huge queer connection uh, which so is a really well, interesting div, you know divas that's yeah whole, exactly you know kylie minogue and share and etc that's you know things that aren't queer but that, you know really connect to queer culture in many ways i think is a really interesting element of this you know about you know and it reflects back on the sort of what i was talking about with drag race in terms of it having an impact on queer communities sort of having pop culture so it's not just about us seeing ourselves in pop culture but also pop culture having an impact on on the creativity of queer communities or the or just of queer culture in, in itself and i think pop divas are a perfect example of that where it's clearly had an impact on queer communities uh, where they've clearly had an impact and it's it'd be interesting to know the sort of legacy of how that comes about but i don't think it's something i can answer today <laughs> mm, yeah I'm, I'm sure there are i'm sure there are good reasons yeah yeah uh well we might we might wrap it up there. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we will be back with another episode in a couple of weeks that's no doubt going to be just as intense and heavy and serious as our usual fare. Uh, in the meantime, you can catch us on queers.podomatic.com or subscribe to us on iTunes. And please leave us a review and rating, which always helps other people find us. You can also email us feedback or questions or uh, anything, really, to queerspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter. I am at Ben C. Riley. And I'm on Twitter at Simon Copland and also on Facebook at Simon Copland Writer. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.